0: You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast. Paying off $30,000 of debt, quitting her job, and achieving phi flexibility with Diana Merriam. 10 seconds.
1: Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant, As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five four three two one.
0: Hey, 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 journeyers. I'm back with another what I hope to be inspiring, motivating, insightful episode for you as fuel on your journey to your goals. I have on Diana Merriam. She is the founder of the Econo Me Conference, also known as the TED Talks of the Fire Movement. She's also the host of the popular podcast, Optimal Finance Daily, where she narrates articles from the best personal finance blogs on the planet. And after getting out of $30,000 of debt in 11 months, she used her newfound financial freedom to negotiate a remote working arrangement with her employer, took a two-month sabbatical to walk 500 miles across northern Spain, and she launched her own business. So I'm really excited to share Diana's journey with you. Diana's story reminds me so much of myself and the fact that She was able to unlock and do so many things with her life by starting the journey. She's not completely financially independent just yet. She's well on her way, but she has so many other options in her life and she's living out that right now. And that's the kind of stuff I want you guys to do in your lives. Like even if you don't have the million, two million dollars in your bank, even if you're not financially independent, you can live a better life from today, right now. So hopefully this will inspire you. Now, In the episode, you'll hear Diana talk about her conference, Economy, so I want to give you the deets on that. I have two free tickets to give away to journeyers to the Economy Conference that's going down at the University of Cincinnati in Cincinnati, Ohio. The dates are currently going to be on November 13th and November 14th of 2021. If they do need to be pushed back, there is already a backup date of March 19th and March 20th of 2022. So here's how you can enter to win one of the two free tickets I'll be able to give away. So join my new text community. I have a new text community and you can join by texting hashtag econ, that's hashtag E-C-O-N to 347-252-9025. Once again, text hashtag econ, E-C-O-N to 347 252-9025. Then just go to IG, my Instagram at JourneyToLaunch, give that follow and you will automatically be entered in a chance to win. I will announce the winners in a couple of weeks. And if you want to snag early bird tickets, so you don't want to even go around and try to win tickets, but you also just want to grab your early bird tickets because it is early bird pricing right now. You can go and do that by going to journeytolaunch.com slash econ. That's journeytolaunch.com slash E-C-O-N. The current price is only one forty nine. Early bird pricing ends on April 10th. So if you happen to listen to this after April 10th, you can still get full price tickets and save 10% with my code journeytolaunch. Tickets for the full price are one ninety nine, which honestly is still a really good investment in price for a conference like this. So you can go to journeytolaunch.com slash econ if you're listening to this after the early bird, but you still want the 10% off. Use Journey to Launch and go ahead and go to the conference. The Journey to Launch podcast is supported by First Republic Bank. I just opened my checking account at First Republic and chose the ATM rebate checking account. With this account, I won't be charged ATM access fees and I'll get a rebate of any fees charged by other U.S. institutions or most fees charged by institutions outside of the U.S. So I get the best of both worlds, personalized banking and easy access to my money. Does your bank really understand you and what you need? It might be time to discover the difference personalized banking can make by switching to First Republic Bank. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. Mine is Linda, and I email her whenever I have a question. Your banker will know you by name and will be by your side to understand and help you reach your goals. Just like Linda did for me, your dedicated First Republic banker can design solutions that support both your personal and business needs at any stage, from finding the right loan to refinancing debt to buying a home. And you can always call or contact your dedicated banker directly from First Republic's mobile app for anything that comes up along the way. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Hey, journeyers. Today in the rocket seat, we are blasting off. Yes, I'm going that corny with the brand. Yeah, because I just... The rocket, whatever. We have Diana Merriam on the podcast. Diana, I can't wait for people to hear your story. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> because your journeys thus far, and you're not done yet, uh, I think will help people who are just starting or just on the path themselves. And because it all really shows you what happens when you just start, what happens, the amazing things and opportunities that unfold for you. So I'd love to hop into first like financial independence. That's your jam. That's what you're on the path towards. But where did you first begin? Because you didn't always know everything you know now. You were in debt at one point. So let's start back then.
1: Absolutely. So I would say in my 20s, I was completely financially illiterate. And, and really, I just wasn't paying attention <laughs> You know, like I knew I had some debt, but I had this mindset that, oh, my debt doesn't matter and I don't have to worry about savings or investments or retirement because I'm so young and I'm going to be making millions one day, (laughs) right? And I mean, that's great that I really believe in my own, uh, you know, earning potential. That's fantastic, but it's a terrible financial plan. Uh, No one ever explained to me the power of compound interest and investing when you're young. So I found myself you know, at 28, I got curious of like, what's, what's going on with my finances. I know I have debt, but I didn't actually know how much debt I had. So I ran a credit report and I was 30 grand in debt for like no reason, simply from not paying attention. So half of that debt was credit card debt from living outside my means. I mean, I was in New York city. I was partying up. I was going out every night, you know, um, I definitely had my twenties, let's say. And then the other half of my debt was student loan debt, which doesn't sound that bad, right? Like 15 grand in student loan debt. However, I got a full scholarship to college, a full academic scholarship. I took out loans for living expenses because it was offered to me. I didn't need that, right? And so no one ever told me that, oh, just because someone offers you this loan, you don't have to take it. And so you know, I found myself in 30 grand of debt total, And, you know, I think that in my late 20s, I was approaching my 30th birthday. It's one of those very reflective birthdays. And I had been so focused on my career and climbing the ladder. And I realized that I didn't have all that much to show for it, especially when I figured out that I was 30 grand in debt. So I kind of got in my head that I really wanted to get out of debt. And a big reason for that is because I wanted to take this trip to Spain to go walk the Camino, which is a 500 mile trek across Spain. I wanted to go walk across a country. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Isn't that obnoxious? And, uh, and so I knew that I was going to need to get out of debt to be able to save the money to be able to go on this trip. Because I honestly thought I was going to have to quit my job to go on that trip. I didn't, I've never heard of anyone or seen any examples of anyone like being granted a leave for something like that. So in my mind, like I got to get out of this debt. This There's a real sense of urgency around it. And so I started kind of searching for debt reduction calculators and that kind of thing. And I stumbled, or actually a friend of mine sent me in a Mr. Money Mustache article. I'm pretty sure it's the one that talks about how your debt's in an emergency. And discovering that blog, I like to describe as a refreshing punch in the face because it just made me realize how stupid I was being about my money and just completely unaware And so it created this sense of urgency. And I did a complete 180. I started cooking every meal that I ate. I split my internet bill with the people who lived below me. I stopped going out and I made my apartment more fun than a bar. So I would have these like elaborate dinner parties where everyone else would bring the booze. And I figured out how to cook for eight people on $30. And it was so much fun. I mean, it was so much fun. I would host clothing exchanges. I didn't buy any clothing. Me and my friends would just share all our clothing And it was just a very creative time for me. And it helped me tap into this resourcefulness that I didn't even know that I had. But it also allowed me to get out of 30 grand of debt uh, in 11 months. 30 grand of debt in 11 months. Squashed it,
0: right? Yeah. So, okay, a couple of questions here. So, for you, what was your um, career in? What was that field?
1: So I work in brand extension and licensing. So if you think of things like um, Budweiser Beer broths or even Welch's Fruit Snacks, that's like the Ooh, best-selling fruit snack. I, <laughs> I know, it's not, like a $400 million <laughs> business, right? It's the most yeah. popular fruit snack in the US. It's a licensed product. So what that means is that Welch's doesn't actually make it. Another company, if you turn the package over, it'll say manufactured by promotion in motion. That's the licensee. So they literally do all of the work. They develop the product. They Uh, sell the product, they market the product, they do everything that you think Welch's is doing, right? And then they pay a royalty back to Welch's to use the brand name. So I've built my career in um, representing brands like that. I work at one of the largest agencies in this industry. And I essentially sit in the middle and kind of facilitate those deals. And then as an agency, we manage those businesses day to day. I actually used to work for uh, Muhammad Ali, which is this is this painting behind me, Um, It's one of the last things he signed, but he was really smart. When he um, was in his prime, I believe it was in the 80s, he trademarked his name, he trademarked his signature, and he trademarked phrases like "float like a butterfly, sting like a bee." And so he had this uh, portfolio of intellectual property that he could then license out and collect a royalty on. So that was one of my first jobs out of college. Is um, I managed about 70 partners that were licensing his name,
0: and uh, so I'm a huge
1: Muhammad Ali fan. That's why he's <laughs>
0: hanging right wow, there. Wow, that is fascinating. Okay, now I have a million other questions. Okay, I'm sorry, I have to take a detour here. So. <laughs> this career, what was your major? I majored in marketing.
1: And the thing that was interesting to me is that licensing is a form of marketing because it allows a, a brand to get into a category that's like extending their brand. It's also known as brand extension, right? And many times brands will do that on their own. So like Lysol makes cleaning sprays. It makes a lot of sense for Lysol to make sponges, but for a lot of business reasons, Lysol didn't want to take on all of the risk to do it themselves. So we actually represented Bank Benckiser, who owns the licensed Lysol brand, and licensed that brand to um, a manufacturer of sponges. And so they still got to get on into the category, but without taking on all the risk themselves. It's, it's an ingenious business model. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that most people don't know about.
0: Yeah. And that's why I asked about what you majored in, because these are like the kind of fascinating careers that, you know, when typically people think about something, it's like a marketing that everyone does, everyone knows about already. But there's these little segments within the space that seem very interested. So I always just like urge people listening journeyers, you know, maybe they're starting out or they want to make a transition that these type of interesting careers are out there. Oh so yeah, definitely. How did you find out about it, right? Like is there somewhere where you like some you knew someone in the industry, you had a connection?
1: Well, this is kind of a funny story how I got my first job in the industry. So, I went to school in New Jersey. I went to Montclair State, and at the time, like between my junior and senior year of college, I was selling water purification units in the city, like knocking door to door in New York City. It was like my first real job, a uh, like professional job, and I had this idea that I was going to work full-time during the day and go to school full-time at night, and I just realized it wasn't going to work. So going into my senior year of college, I wanted to find this new, a new job, and I just went on like the school's um, you know, job listings, and there was a licensing agency literally right around the block from my house where I was living in Montclair and you know they had a listing that was very old so i didn't think they were still hiring but i thought let me they're literally right there let me just go walk over there so i threw on a suit i printed out my resume and i just walked in there and I, they they were so shocked that i would do that that they gave me some some of their time you know i had an interview with a lovely woman who really liked me and they explained what they did i didn't even know what licensing was i just knew it had something to do with marketing and i was going to school for marketing so They don't really talk about licensing in the business school I went to. They talked, there was like one day about franchising, which is a type of licensing, but they, they really didn't dive deep into this multi-billion dollar business. And so I got to learn about what licensing even was. And she liked me. She wanted me to offer me a job. And she said, well, our president is going to China tomorrow. She's going to be back in a couple of weeks. We'd love for you to come back for a second interview. Well, now at this point in my life, and, and I was so naive. I would never do this now, but I just had never not gotten the job. I worked in restaurants and stuff before, you know. I you just you get the job on the spot. What is this second interview thing? So I actually said to her, "Well, if you wait a couple of weeks, I'm going to have another job by then. Like if you're really that interested, why don't I just talk to her quickly now?" <laughs> and, uh, and so they agreed, and I got to talk to the president, and then they hired me that day. So that was. That was how I got that job. And that really is what set me on on this career path. It's it's just kind of a a stroke of luck, I'd say.
0: Yeah, part luck. And then this is what they say, you know, they always ask business owners like what allowed you to succeed or start. And it's like, because I didn't know any better. It's like literally like being naive and just like going after things and being bold. I love that part of your story, honestly. And I hope it's these hidden careers and interesting things that I, I want more people to know about. So hopefully that sparks interest in someone listening. Now, talking about changing up your lifestyle to be able to pay off the $30,000 in 11 months, how was that? Because it's something that happens for people is, you know, they find out about, you know, financial independence or just getting better with their money, but not everyone in their life is on that same path. And so the change makes it harder. Like if all your friends like buy in, then it's easier. But if you're going to brunch every Sunday, you know, um, I know it's different with the pandemic, right? But like, if you're doing things and everyone around you are doing things, how do you get people on board that maybe... We're not before.
1: Yeah. Well, I will say that I definitely went out less. I I was so excited about getting out of debt that I definitely cut back on going out. But it didn't feel like deprivation because I replaced that with a lot of like personal development type stuff. So I was reading a lot. I was working out a lot. I was cooking every meal I ate. Like I was just I was devouring the Mister Money Mustache blog. Like it's not like I felt like I was missing out on anything because I was so interested in this topic that I was just devouring, you know, content about it. And then I was also being really creative with how I did use my time and money. So yes, like I still wanted to hang out with my friends, but I would have them over for dinner and, I'm, and I became like a really good cook. So they were all excited to come over. And what's interesting about having people over for dinner, and I still do it all the time, it's that It's so much cheaper, but it's also a lot more intimate, right? Like when you're out at a crowded bar and it's loud and like, you're trying, you know, it's fun to go out. Sure. I mean, I did it a lot, right? In my twenties, but there's just something to the intimacy of having someone over for dinner, for cooking them a meal. They like appreciate it so much more, you know? And And they thought I was being so generous for cooking for them. But, like, to me, they were being generous and, like, making it really easy for me. Come to my house, you know, and the night's over. You have to travel all the way home in New York City and I get to stay in my apartment, you know? Like, to me, I thought I was getting the better end of the deal and I got to save money. So, I don't know. I I know a lot of people talk about deprivation and when, when they think about frugality and how hard it is to cut back. But I just think that if you're able to tap into your creativity and you're able to see what you're gaining versus what you're losing, it just makes the whole process a lot more exciting.
0: Yeah, especially when you're, you have a goal that you're going after. Um, so I know you talk about this and I talk about this, but like there's this balance that needs to occur on this journey because it is pretty long, right? Like, you know, getting all the money you ever need to never work again, right? Ultimately, but a lot of people, like that is a marathon journey. And so within that, like you may decide when you were paying off debt that you were going to be really intense about that. And then, okay, because you wanted to get to this goal to walk, um, say that place again. It's the Camino de Santiago, the Camino, right? And so I feel like too, like your reason sometimes push you further and faster. And for some people, um, maybe their why isn't like motivating enough. So I would say find that for yourself because that will motivate you.
1: I also think your motivation changes over time, right? And I have this concept that I'm playing around with that I call phi flexibility. And it's really about prioritizing the journey and being flexible as opportunities present themselves or as obstacles present themselves. Because you have you when you come up with your financial plan, to me that is the direction that you're headed and the purpose of that goal setting and that plan is to just chart your direction, to help you figure out which way you're stepping. But if you're so rigidly holding on to it, I don't think you're able to adapt as things are inevitably going to come up, right? And so your reasons for why are going to change. And I think that I really benefited from recognizing that the the tenacity and energy that I had in those 11 months getting out of debt is not sustainable for my whole journey to financial independence. I had to, to learn how to evolve in my relationship with money. In theory, I could put my head down and like just figure out ways to continue to reduce my expenses and increase my income. I could... you know, I, I ended up with a, 70, a 60% savings rate. I could have just spent most of my time saying, how do I get it to 70? But after 60%, I just realized that I opened up bandwidth to ask bigger questions. Now I'm not asking myself, how do I make more money or how do I uh, save more? I'm asking myself, how do I want to use my time? How do I want to contribute to the world? having financial security opened up the ability for me to ask those big questions.
0: Right. And you can reach levels of financial security while without having like financial independence. Like, and that is, that is my wish um, and goal for everyone, because I know there are some people now who think, okay, like financial independence is impossible. And while I do think it's a privileged path um, for many people, because there are some people who like, they can't even think about like this, they're trying to just like put food on the table and pay their rent. And I I get that, right? And, um, But I do think that in order to reach, even to start financial independence, you have to get things in order first. And all those things help you pay off debt, help you save. And the financial freedom, security that you get along the way is what it's all about.
1: Oh, yeah. And I will say to that point, I don't think the um, prize of pursuing financial independence comes at the end. I think there are these like small prizes along the way that a lot of us choose to walk past because we're so focused on the big prize. So like, for example... And just telling you with my story, this was five years ago that I got out of debt. Five years ago, I got out of debt, I walked the Camino, I came back and I bought a house, you know, and I started a business where I took a big loss in the first year. A lot has happened in the past five years. However, you know, I have been able to find some financial security that I'm just now starting to emotionally embrace. So for example, I just realized yesterday that I am coast-fi. So that means that if I don't contribute one more dollar to my retirement vehicles, I'm able to retire at traditional retirement age. That's a huge weight off my shoulder, right? To know that regardless of what other decisions I make, traditional retirement, I'm set for that. That feels very good. The other thing that, you know, I'm going through another transition right now that I didn't anticipate this a year ago or when I when I came up with my plan to reach financial independence, which by the way, I'm about 6 years away if I was staying on the track I was on 2 months ago. However, I have decided to leave my job. And the reason why I feel comfortable doing that is because I have what they like to call, and am I allowed to curse on this podcast?
0: Well, you can probably just say "f the (laughs) I have what, uh, okay.
1: So wait, when polite people call it peace out money, I like to call it F-U money. Yeah, I call Um, it F-U money. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that means that I have, and it can be one to two years of uh, your yearly expenses, liquid or in cash. So I have two years. You can have one to two years to consider yourself having like FU money. It's, it's more of a safety net than just an emergency fund, right? And it's not invested in like a retirement vehicle where it might be difficult to draw, to, to get it out. So I have about a year of cash in my savings account right now. And then I have another year of my yearly expenses in an after-tax brokerage that in theory I could sell. And so I have two years of expenses that opens up this option for me to walk away from my six-figure salary. It's a hard decision to make because I'm not financially independent. And I had anticipated that I would just work here for six more years. What's six more years? To be five by 40 sounds good to me, but things change, things change. And I think, you know, you have to be able to adapt when obstacles cross your path and I was faced with this decision of, am I going to use my FU money the way that it was designed? And I decided to, to take that opportunity. And so I'm going to spend the next year flirting with self-employment, which I know I've heard your story and, and you took that leap as well, which is really exciting. Um, and it's scary you know, when you're used to being a W-2 employee and now you are working for yourself. It can be scary, but I've gotten to this place where I trust myself enough that I'm going to figure it out.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing, the skill sets that you, you get. And again, I can see someone listening. It's like, okay, that sounds great. You guys were able to put your job, save up one to two years. Like, come on. Like I'm just trying to get an emergency fund together, but I'm telling you the skill set it takes you to figure that budget out and stick to it for a, for a month, two months, get that groove going. The skill set it takes you to stick with an article or a video about index funds or something that right now, maybe you don't understand whatever the concept, That skill set, that brain muscle that you're building, this kind of like tenacity of figuring it out, it grows as you get on the journey. And these are the same skills that then allow you to see things totally different. Like you would not have seen the opportunities before that were in front of you. Same thing as you, Diana. Like I had no clue when starting to journey to launch. Like I didn't have this big goal of at first that journey to launch would be the thing. But then I'm like, wait a second, like I'm building a whole new kind of career path on the side. Like, what could this be? But I would have never known that. Right. And so I just encourage I always just try to put myself where someone listening who is not where we are and really want to encourage you to think, even though you can't see all the amazing things that will happen for you, even if you're in debt right now. As soon as you start this, um, no matter how little the progress you feel you're making, it will open up more opportunities for you.
1: Well, and I think it's so important to work on your mindset. If you have a scarcity mindset where you believe that, you know, oh, this story is great, Diana, but it's not possible for me. Well, if that's what you believe, then that's what's true. It isn't possible for you. I think it has to start with you believing that it is possible and really shifting your mindset to an abundance mindset. Um, and that takes a lot of hard work. You know, We are surrounded by messages that it is impossible to get ahead, that it's impossible to build wealth, that you need to spend money on X, Y, and Z. It's not easy to fight your consumerist conditioning. It's really not. So I I would encourage people to be patient with themselves, to be compassionate towards themselves, and to recognize that it's a process. So even if you're not there yet, just recognize that you're on your way. The fact that you're even listening to this podcast right now means that you're on your way.
0: Yeah, and even if some things are rooted in facts, right? Like, and I always, you know, go back and forth with, obviously there's a self-responsibility part of this and what the most you can do. And I think also acknowledging that there are like systems in place systematically that, you know, have prevented, um you know, people of color, specifically black people from doing certain things, right? Like, you know, the wealth gap and all these things are real, but also understanding and why it's so important for me, like, because I think representation matters. And so while, um you know, you may not relate to everyone's story and everyone has a different starting point, you know, maybe you didn't get like a full ride, like, you know, and you have way more student loan debt that, again, if you think, okay, this person, like, They didn't have to deal with anything I dealt with. So what do I have to learn from them? I think for some people, um, breaking free of that too is important because like, same thing, Mr. Money Mustache. I feel like he was the gateway for me to him and um, Radical Personal Finance. I don't really listen to his podcast um, anymore. I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts anymore, but the um, other guy, um, Mad Scientist, right? Like there are these people that like, I technically like on the surface have nothing in common with, but hearing them talk about this concept, I was like, wait a second. And there may be some things I don't agree with how they speak or what they're doing now. But I'm like, I'm so glad I found that because then I was able to translate it in a way that works for me. So
1: totally. And I think that from other people's stories, I definitely got caught up in the beginning of like trying to be Mr. Money Mustache, right? Like I just like like really kind of put him up on a pedestal and thought I got to follow what what he's saying. But I just think, personal finance is personal. And you're going to have to come to your own understanding of your own relationship with money. And just because I'm sharing more about my relationship with money and the choices that I made, they're not all going to apply to you. Like I don't think that anyone can repeat anyone else's story, but I think we can be inspired by other people people's story. And I think we can start to ask those questions. Well, what's possible for us? Because even if you can't reach financial independence by 40, first of all, it's not a race and you're not in competition with anyone else. right? But I think we can all agree that you can do something to improve your financial situation, something, anything. Um, And if it's even just working on your mindset at first, well, then that is something. I just think that I've had to learn to really kind of customize my my relationship with money to apply to me. Like, I don't like to ride bikes. Sorry, Mr. Money Mustache. I'm not going to do that, right? There are choices that I make that don't follow the traditional narrative of the FIRE movement, but that's okay because it's my decision. It's my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so some of the things that you've been able to do that I definitely want to um, hone in on because I think it would be really helpful is you were able to negotiate um, to move from new York City, high cost of living where i 'm still living um, Brooklyn right to um, Cincinnati, right low cost of living um, with your employer who traditionally did not like really allow that pre you know pre covid free pandemic where working from home is now more normal, but how did you do that because that I think for some people will be useful to understand
1: yeah, so the way I went about that you know i 'm a salesperson, and so it my performance is basically all comes down to the numbers, and I had a few years where I basically like doubled my sales each year. It was just really good. I was like on fire, you know, and I was being compensated well for that. Like I was getting big jumps in my pay every year and the, the, my employer was very happy with me. So I knew I had leverage. I think that's like very important to recognize that when you are a very valued employee and you understand that you have leverage, now you can start to be start making those asks. I was also there for five years at the time. So I think that if it was like my first year there, they would have just said no, but they were like invested in me by that point. And so, you know, I went to, you know, we closed the fiscal year. I had another great year. And I just said to them, what's more important to me than another raise is more time and freedom you know, I'm having a very early midlife crisis and I just need to like get out of New York. I just did not realize how much it's stressing me out. I really want to go to Cincinnati and just try out another city. I've never been anywhere else aside from New York and New Jersey. Um, Oh, and by the way, I'm also going to need two months off to go walk across Spain. And I think that they handled it really well because they recognize that, you know, they didn't want to lose me and I didn't want to leave. I wasn't saying I'm going to go quit and do this stuff. I'm saying I need to go do this for me, but I still really value working here. And so can we work out some kind of arrangement? And so I was able to move to Cincinnati and work remotely before it was the norm. And then when it comes to the sabbatical, you know, the way I framed it to them is if I was pregnant right now, I would be taking three months off maternity leave. I don't want to birth a child. I want to birth a world adventure. <laughs> and so I want two months off unpaid. And I wanted my job back when I get back. And I am going, I ended up doing 10, I ended up doing 12 months of work in 10 months. That was actually one of my best years sales-wise, because I felt the need to prove to them that I could take two months off and still like crush it at my job. And, and that worked out really, really well for me. I think that I had a great relationship with my boss. They believed in me. They, they really were invested in my own personal development because you know the more interesting I am as a person, the better a salesperson I am. And so it actually... I, I think I, I took a lot of time to show them why this was good for them while also being good for me. And I think that helped a lot.
0: And we are now in a position, I mean, I know not every company is doing this, but there are a lot of companies now where you're working from home, you know, they're not going back to the office. Maybe, you know, it's indefinitely, maybe it's for, you know, another year, but you can potentially say, does it matter if I am, you know, in New York, you know, or in a high cost of living place, like I can move anywhere and still do the work. So it doesn't really matter. Exactly.
1: It's a much easier ask today than three years ago when I asked. It was pretty unconventional then, but For a company today to not consider fully remote work, I mean, they're just behind the times, frankly. Um, The other thing that I wanted to point out to the listeners is that I just read this book. It's so good. It's it's actually called So Good, They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. And when I read it, I thought, wow, this is what I did is I built up my skills and I became so valuable to them that I could then trade that um, equity almost for what, what was even better than more money, again, which is time, freedom, autonomy. I mean, that's what really contributes to um, career satisfaction. So you know, to, be, to, to spend the younger part of your career, like paying your dues and just investing in being indispensable, to then be able to kind of cash that in for your, your reward for that is to be able to ask for autonomy and freedom. And, and that's exactly how it worked for me.
0: Right. Now, do you think, I feel like there are people listening who love their job and they're already doing like, they're so good already. And they can like, okay, I, I got some wheels of training here. And then there are some people who are like, you know, doing just the bare minimum. They hate what they're doing. Like they're just dreaming of leaving and they're thinking FI or, you know, a uh, sabbatical or early, this is the escape they need. And I think that is like a mindset thing. Cause I do believe that like, you know, I do believe some situations are just not good, just not a safe situation, just not mentally okay. But I also do believe that whatever you think, if you think it's the outside and everyone else, you can take that with you. Even if as an entrepreneur working for yourself, like you'll find someone else to be like, I can't stand my customer. I can't stand this contractor. So can we talk about the mindset also of accepting where you are, no matter if you think you don't like it or if you don't like it to make the best of it so you can leverage it and do more?
1: Exactly. And I would say that if you are pursuing Phi because you're miserable in your job, then you're still going to be miserable after you reach Phi. And the reason for that is because circumstances attribute very small percentage to your overall happiness. So I, I had to ask myself very hard questions, even as I decided to quit my job am I dissatisfied where I am because of my own self, right? Like, is it internal? Because if it's internal, I'm going to carry this around everywhere. Or am I looking to move on for other reasons? And those, you know, you kind of have to have a reckoning with yourself to say like, what is actually happening here? But if you are miserable in your job, go find a new job you know, like, I just don't think it's enough. I used to think, how am I going to find something else to do that's going to pay me as much as I'm making here? And I would like torture myself over, you know, should I leave? Should I stay? What should I do? And the reality is that, yes, we're all racing towards five, depending on how fast you're going, but life is short. Life is too short for you to kill yourself to reach five. It just is. If it, if you're going to tack on more time to go do something that you like, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I was 6 years away and now I have no idea where my income's going to come from, right? I could have set myself back oh years, 5, 10 years, who knows. But you know what? Like maybe I make more money than I than I ever thought I would. So, I think it's boldly stepping into the unknown and if you are miserable, then I think you got to work on yourself. Here's one of my favorite quotes. Your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. So you're not going to be successful if you're miserable is what, is what I read that to mean. And so invest in yourself, invest in your personal development, invest in your abundance mindset, and you will figure it out.
0: Yeah. And like you said, even with like going to find another job, even if that right now is not something, you know, depending on your industry or just like your position right now, I think just preparing yourself, um, looking at other options. If, you know, taking a sabbatical unpaid or quitting is not, you cannot do that right now because you're just starting your journey. You haven't, you know, gotten through the stages, different levels that you need to, that it's still um there's still opportunity to do work, some groundwork for, okay, you know, like looking at other positions what maybe in your company and or hiring. So here's the thing too, investing in yourself, right? Like maybe it's the, your resume needs to be updated. Your LinkedIn profile like needs to be updated. Um, Looking at different types of industries that you may want to switch into. So, all right, talk about possibly extending your FIRE path or I'm short it. I feel the same way. Talk about what things you're going to focus on, because you just talked about leaving your job. And you have the money like saved up, but what are you thinking you're going to do? What is the plan? So
1: I have about 10 streams of income that I want to explore. And so I'm giving myself this this next year to kind of flirt with all of them. One of the kind of lowest hanging fruit is I host this podcast, Optimal Finance Daily. That is a job. I was hired to do that. Um, the producers are amazing, and right now they basically pay me to do seven hours of work a week because they they do a lot of the um, production and back end stuff, and then they make my job really easy. So I'm actually talking to them of how can I take on more responsibility and increase my income with them. The other thing I'm looking to do is you know some consulting type opportunities in my licensing career. I've got twelve years of knowledge. And I've worked for the largest licensing agency in the world. So I think I have a lot to offer um, and to be able to offer my knowledge on a consulting basis, on a freelance basis, on project-based work um, where I can charge by the hour and be really like clear about how I'm going to use my time and how I'm paid for that time um, is very exciting for me. I'm also looking at other things like, so for example, um, the Economy Conference is a business that I started a couple of years ago, and that's much more of a passion project than it is a source of income for me, but I made a pretty large investment to get it off the ground. So the event itself cost me about 60 grand but i only had about 20 grand in ticket sales so i took a huge 40 grand loss on that business that i'm actually hoping to recoup this year so it's not i don't consider it a source of income i consider it recouping my investment but it still helps with cash flow for this year cuz that's like more than a year of expenses for me if i'm able to recoup that um, so, definitely investing in continuing to spend a lot of time on the economy conference, even though it's not a source of income, it has become this springboard for me for other sources of income. So, like, you know, I signed a bunch of sponsors for the next year, and now I'm talking about other work I could do with them or freelance writing I could do with them. Getting this podcast job was a direct result of because I have this history of building this event. Um, And there were a lot of synergies between the show and what I do on my own business. So I think... Um the other thing I really want to do is I want to build financial wellness workshops and sell them to corporations because a lot of the corporations offer these workshops to help people understand their retirement packages and benefits but they're facilitated by you know these banks that don't make them very fun and so to be able to go in there and like shake it up and and it's like it's almost like I get to do the economy conference every day and talk about money in in a very fun way and also help out, you know, companies that want to make sure that their employees are educated on what the offering is. So um, I just have so many ideas; I could go on and on because I've got ten of them. But I won't bore you here because I'm still exploring all of them, and they all really kind of feed and build on each other. So I think it's going to be a really dynamic, exciting year of exploration. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, I'll go get another full time job. I'm pretty well connected in my industry to have the assurances that. There will be a job for me if I really wanted one.
0: Yeah, and so let's talk a little bit more about the economy conference. I know you, it's going to be coming up again. Um, so talk about like what it's all about, and you know why people should look into attending. Sure.
1: So the economy conference is also known as the TED Talks of the fire movement. So one attendee cuz we did an after uh, event survey after the first event and one attendee described it as a party about money which exa- is exactly what i was going for so it it's very similar to how you think of ted talks but you know we've got music we've got lighting we, it's like a show it's a performance so it is as entertaining as it is informative and really it's designed to inspire you on your path to financial independence whether you're just starting out whether you're like me and you're well on your way but you want to like surround yourself with money nerds and and continue to like fuel the fire it, it's really designed to appeal to a very broad audience. So we have about nine speakers or nine speaker slots. Um, we Last year, we screened um, the documentary Playing with Fire. We had breakout sessions. We had a big after party. We have all these activities, like uh, we're going to do a kayaking excursion and uh, uh, an urban hike around Cincinnati. It's a, it's a two-day event. And um, it, again, it really is about surrounding yourself with community. If you are just interested in seeing the speeches, I'll give those to you for free. I've got a YouTube channel. You can go and watch all of the speeches from last year. If that's what you're interested in, like I'll just give that to you. But if you're buying a ticket, you're buying a ticket for the experience. And what I'm actually selling you is a feeling to walk away feeling like your life is full of possibility. That is my intention around the Economy Conference. And it actually, I got the idea for it because I attend another event called World Domination Summit. And it's been going on for about 10 years. Mr. Money Mustache spoke at it one year. That's how I found out about it. And I've gone to like the last three. I think this coming year is going to be my fourth time and they're ending it. They're not going to have it anymore. And it's, it's ridiculously expensive. It's like $700 a ticket. But you know what? It's worth every penny. Because when I go, I meet the most incredible, creative, interesting people. And I, I just walk away feeling very expansive, feeling like my life's full of possibilities. And I just have so many ideas. I mean, the idea for the Economy Conference came to me while I was at World Domination Summit. And I remember being with a friend there and we went to his office that was nearby and while I was waiting for my flight home and we just spent the afternoon journaling uh, of everything we learned and everything that we wanted to come out of this amazing weekend. And I wrote 13 pages about this event that I wanted to create and what the vision was and why I was doing it and what were my motivations and why I was so excited about it. And I'll tell you it was really really hard to plan it. I spent 20 months planning the first event. And it was like one of the I thought walking across a country was hard, that was like child's play compared to trying to 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 build a conference. I'm not like you. I don't have a big audience. Nobody knows my name and I was trying to get like 700 people in a room. Um, to trust me enough to put on an amazing show, and it went so well. It was like the best weekend of my life. It just it happened in March, right before the apocalypse hit. So we really dodged a bullet that we could even still have it. But yeah, this is this to me is my passion project. This to me is my gift to the world is creating this event. Even though it's a full time job and I don't make any income on it, it is like there are so many non monetary benefits to doing this. I get to have conversations with you because I, I have something you know that I'm offering to the community. And, and there's just... To me, it's like my baby. I don't have any human children. So I just love it. And I invite your audience to check it out. You can go to economyconference.com. The next event is scheduled for August 7th and 8th at the University of Cincinnati. Obviously, where we are in this apocalypse, we don't know if we're going to be able to gather in large groups. We are um, anticipating selling out. But if it doesn't happen on August 7th and 8th, then we will push it to the second weekend in November. So I already had those dates held. And then if it doesn't happen the second weekend in November, it will be pushed to March, 2022. So if you have any interest, I I think this is going to come out during the early bird pricing, which is only available from um, March 7th to April 10th. This is the lowest price the tickets will be offered at. If you have any interest in coming... Just buy a ticket because either it's going to be pushed off to one of those other two time frames, or if you really can't come one of those two time frames, I will hold your ticket till 2023 for the next event, or I'll refund it. I mean, there's really no risk in buying a ticket now, but it does certainly help me to know that there's a demand, you know, and that, the, that, the, that I can start like shelling out money to my vendors and that kind of thing because I cannot take another 40 grand loss on this event without my income.
0: What I like about the event, too, is because oftentimes in the um fire space, financial independent, retire early space, for some people, like, you know, it's not like very monotone and it's not anymore. I definitely will say there's so many amazing voices, unique viewpoints, diversity. It's there now. It's just more like bringing those people, putting them on stage and giving them more spotlight. But um, this conference, conference is very diverse. So you're not just hearing from like, white men. I'm talking about financial independence.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is not. I, I like to say it's not the uh, white mansplaining conference. That's for sure. Um, I am very proud of the fact that the majority of the speakers last year were women and we are very committed to diversity. I don't like splash it everywhere that like we're so committed to diversity because in my mind, that's just the way things should be. You know, so I don't like, he- I'm not very heavy handed about that in my marketing, but if you look at my speakers, l- speaker lineup, it's pretty clear that it's diverse.
0: Well, and that's the thing. Some, you know, you don't have to be perform, a lot of these, like, p- people are being performative in a lot of areas just so they can, like, prove there's something. But if you've been walking the talk, like, you already know from my platform, from when I saw your speaker list, and I know, I, you know, there was talk about me possibly doing it, that I was like, okay, like, this is the kind of conference, this is the kind of place I'd rather be than in some of the other, um, honestly, um, places. So, so much. Um, I think this was an amazing, amazing chat. What, so one thing I want maybe for you to, say to someone like listening right now, like they're like, all right, Diana, this sounds amazing. Maybe they're already on board with reaching financial independence, or maybe they're just like learning about it. This could be their first episode, um, learning about it or hearing about it. What would you say to that person about the next step they should take other than getting a ticket <laughs> to the economy? <laughs> what is like the next thing they can do, um, or they should work on like that? will move them forward. We'll move the needle. I will say
1: this. Let your curiosity be bigger than your fear. Your mindset is so important. And even, even me who is doing financially better over the last five years, I've just had to continually work on my mindset. And it's it's just constantly evolving. I, I think that to me is the most important part because you know, your, your thoughts lead to the words that you say to yourself and other people. When you say those words enough, they turn into beliefs. And in order for you to take really meaningful action, you have to believe it, right? And then that action if you do it over and over and over again, you lead to habits and it's your habits that create your reality. So it sounds a little woo-woo to say like thoughts become things, but it's true because you, it go you, it forces you to go through this process. It's really your habits that create your reality, but you've got to like use your thoughts to get to solidify those habits. And that's really to me Money management and getting out of debt and all of that, it's all about prioritizing saving and investing. It's about prioritizing it, being aware of it, putting it front and center in your life. And it's totally possible, but it starts in your head.
0: Yeah, I love that. All right. So tell everyone where they can find you and again, talk more where they can get tickets for the Economy Conference.
1: Sure. So you can find me at economyconference.com. And economy is actually spelled with an M-E at the end instead of an M-Y because I'm so clever. Um, (laughs) But make sure you spell it right, economy, or spell it wrong, rather. Um, And then you can also listen to me on the Optimal Finance Daily podcast. This is a daily show where I like to say that I serenade you with the sweet sounds of personal finance knowledge, um, I, it's an actual narration style podcast. So I'm reading to you from um, blog posts from a variety of personal finance bloggers. And then I offer you my own commentary on each article. And that happens every single day of the year, including weekends and holidays. And it happens in 10 minutes or less.
0: I love it. Yeah.
1: So would I would encourage you to listen to that. And then as far as um, tickets to the Economy Conference, this is you know when we're recording this um, is a little early in the game, but my plan is to open up early bird pricing on March seventh because that's actually the one year anniversary of the first event, and then I'm going to close it down on April tenth because that's my birthday and I want ticket sales for my birthday. So uh, during that month, I'm going to make 200 tickets uh, available for an early bird price, and that's going to be 149. Full price is going to be 199. So it is the value that you get for this ticket. It is incredibly low ticket price most people that came to the conference the the first year were shocked that they got that much value for so little money. So if you are interested, I would encourage you to grab one of those 200 early bird tickets.
0: Awesome. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing more of your story. And I hope it will be a light and benefit to everyone who heard it today.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Okay. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Diana, got some fuel for your journey, some practical tips for yourself as you are moving along the path. One last reminder, if you want to win two free tickets or want to be one of the two people to win free tickets to Diana's EconoMe Conference, all you have to do is text Econ, that's hashtag Econ, to 347-252-9025, text hashtag Econ, to three four seven two five two nine zero two five to be entered in your chance to win a free ticket, and then go over and follow me on my Instagram at Journey to Launch. I'll announce the winners in a couple of weeks. And if you want to just buy tickets, they're really good price for something like this. You can go to slash econ. And if it's full pricing at the time you listen to this and go check it out and you want to save ten percent, put in Journey to launch to get 10% off the full price tickets. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple podcasts, that purple app on your phone.